Well, everybody, welcome back to Center Ice. And everybody's in quarantine because of the coronavirus. We are as well. Things are very quiet where we are. But we wanted to take this opportunity to kind of talk about some things that we don't normally get a chance to talk about. Because as you know, we talk about what's going on right now in the NHL. And we usually don't have a chance to talk about other things like prospects and even old playoff series that we're we've watched or have been watching during this layoff. So first of all, I think I wanted to ask Matt, how are you doing, man? Are, are you all right? How are things in Ottawa? Because I know it's well, it's certainly a, a difficult time for everyone. A, a difficult, I'd say, would be an understatement, especially for some people out there. And uh, I don't think any of us have ever lived in a time like this. And you know, this is kind of one of those once-in-a-generation type events that we're witnessing right now. It, it, we're we're living through history right now, Mac. It's really quite weird. And obviously, the best advice right now is stay home unless you need to go out because the, the, the more people stay home and the less people get that get sick, the sooner we can return to regular day-to-day life is the, the best advice I got to say. But I have been out a couple times to get groceries and stuff, and it's really eerily quiet. It's almost like we're living in a post-apocalyptic world. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, we're we're in a pretty good situation here in Canada. Our our prime minister has taken measures to help um, reduce the spreading of this virus, and I think we're in pretty good hands. And you mentioned kind of apocalyptic feel it really does you know this morning i i woke up and i went for a walk and and any other day my street is absolutely lined with cars the school is busy there is absolutely no one almost every place is closed i mean just this morning i went to the bank and they're taking in customers one by one i even had like uh gloves on like surgical gloves um and they told me to use hand sanitizer with said gloves and i had to answer a questionnaire so they're certainly taking things very seriously but you know i'm all right i'm okay like i just my sister and her husband are here now for a little bit uh home from ireland so it's nice to have some company um and i haven't seen them in a little while so you know we're home cooking all our meals of course and we have groceries, we have enough toilet paper. So we are we are doing okay, but I agree with you. It's it's super weird. And I think you know, first of all, what this whole thing has taught me is that I think we as a society need to be cleaner in general. And I think we as a society need to stop taking things for granted like the things that we do every day that now we kind of have to do because it's a necessity, right? Like, so it'll be interesting to see what, how long this lasts, but I I don't think anybody likes it. I think everybody's really frustrated with it. And, you know, certain people are in more difficult situations than others. Like I said, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be in the situation I'm in. So all things considered, I'm okay. Does it suck? Yes. Is it weird? Yes. But you know, I'm I'm surviving and, and I'm doing all right. Same here. And you know what? We're going to get through it. We've gone through harder things before. And as, 
as I said before, as long as people are smart about this and don't go out and party on the beach and don't go to big events and tell the, every tell our health officials tell us to, we'll be uh, we'll be through this in a a month and a bit, maybe a bit longer. But before we really jump into the meat of today's episode, Mac, I think we both have to say a a huge thank you to our uh, health workers out there working on the front lines right now because without them this situation would be i couldn't imagine how bad this situation would be our doctors nurses and healthcare workers overall whether you're a janitor or a surgeon you're the ones that are the true heroes right now yeah without question and and that goes for for all the people that are working at places like grocery stores restaurants the services Absolutely. we really need right now, they don't know how much they're doing, but really they're keeping us like alive and healthy and and going. And, you know, it's amazing the things that we can take for granted. And then a situation like this happens because, like I said, we're fortunate to live in Canada in a great country with with health care and, and all those things. But when something like this happens, all of a sudden – Fewer of these services are available, um, and it's just, it's amazing how much these people do and how selfless they are in what they do, and especially, like you said, the healthcare workers, but really everyone, everyone that's continued to work and continued to recognize their importance through this in any way possible, um, to me, those people are amazing. Absolutely. Well, let's jump in. Um... One of the first things, since we're on the the coronavirus, we might as well get the heavier stuff out of the way first, and we'll get into some of the fun stuff in a few minutes. Of course, the big story right now is that not only is life on hold, that also includes sports, so the NHL season is on hold. And if you want to hear, I guess it's kind of a fun fact, but, but it kind of surprised me. Did you know the last professional sporting event of the major four leagues in North America was the Senators versus LA Kings game. So, <laughs> what a way to go out with sports, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, none of us are going to blame the NHL for uh, suspending the season as much as you and I are both uh, missing hockey quite, <laughs> quite badly. The NHL, they absolutely made the right call here. And as soon as the NBA said they were going to suspend their season, I think everybody in the NHL community knew that it was just a matter of time. Yeah, and I think it they deserve credit for how they handled it because really some other leagues waited a little bit longer. But from my understanding... The NHL has taken all the precautions. Every team um, has been extremely careful. And this is a situation where I think when this is all over, we'll hear stories about how these cases were handled and, and some of the people in those organizations. And there's a lot of there's a lot of first class organizations in hockey. So I feel very good about how the NHL handled it. The owners are a different story because, first of all, a lot of them took a really long time to include any funds for 
part-time employees and event employees. And, and the latest one was Boston, who basically didn't pay anything. They just said, if the season resumes, we will pay our employees, which is kind of ridiculous considering you're a billionaire and you have the money. But anyway, Jeremy Jacobs is worth we don't three and a half billion. So yeah, th- these guys these guys have money, and it, it's a chance for them to do a nice thing. That that really any any person with money that actually had a heart inside their body would probably do. But you know, some of these people are are extremely selfish, and and I think we've really identified that. And and it's amazing to me that. It took so long, right? Like, to me, this is something that should be done within a few, maybe a week. Every team should have done this. Because these employees are the ones that help you put your product on the ice. They help you maintain the ice. Everything, the presentation, they help you with all that. So without them, you don't have all that. And yes, you're the owner and you're the wealthy person and you own the team. But come on. I mean, this this was something that I followed because it was kind of something to follow during this layoff. And I was really disappointed in how much time it took for all these teams to pay those employees. Well, I'll tell you for a fact, Matt, just coming from someone who works for an NHL team, it's amazing what goes on behind the scenes that your average everyday fan would never see. We've got hundreds of employees just at the Sanders who make sure everything works from the Zamboni drivers to the cooks. It's an incredible army of people that get these major events to go off without a hitch. Yeah. Anyway, let's, let's move on to the show because I don't want to talk about doom and gloom stuff. Let's have some fun. So uh, let's talk some prospects. Yeah. Let's jump right into the prospects. And when you told me earlier today to start making some notes on Sens prospects, I forgot how much of a rabbit hole that really is because as a Senators fan and someone who follows prospects, the Sens have one of the top, I'd say, top five prospects depths in the league because they've just got so many big names that have really exploded onto the season scene, particularly this last season. Just to name a few here, Matt, you look at Belleville this season, Names like Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, Alex Formanton, etc. These guys were known, but there certainly were some critiques from the Sens faithful and other scouts across the league. Would these guys be able to transform their skills from the minor leagues into AHL and and eventually NHL talent? And the answer is a resounding yes. You just look at uh, someone like Josh Norris, who the Sens picked up in the Eric Carlson trade kind of as an afterthought at the time that he was rated around a C plus a B minus, I believe at the time. And the ceiling for him was kind of a, a depth center. And you, you look at what Josh Norris has done this year. He's absolutely had an incredible season. He played 56 games in Belleville this year before the season was cut short. He's scored 31 goals, gotten 30 assists. Good for, 61 points in Belleville. And a lot of that has actually happened over the past couple months. He's really turned it up, and he's looked fantastic in Belleville. 
not only is he putting up points on the board, when he was brought up to the NHL level recently, they gave him a shot, and he looked pretty comfortable up at the NHL level. He didn't register any points. But there were a lot of things that I saw from Josh Norris being at the games that I really, really thought were great indications of a solo player. He seemed comfortable. He knew what was going on. He was able to read the plays. And yeah, he had a few missteps, but that's not uncommon for a player coming up from the AHL for the first time. And he he has some great chemistry with Brady Kachuk, and I could see those two really continuing to form their chemistry over the next few seasons. I think Josh Norris has really exploded up the depth chart in an already deep pool of prospects for the Senators. And if you're a, a prospect watcher like I know you are, Mac, keep an eye on Josh Norris from Ottawa. Absolutely. And, and you haven't even mentioned some of the other Senators prospects. Exactly. The Senators have one of the better systems in, in the league. And, you know, certain teams just have a ridiculous amount of prospect talent, and they are one of them. But let's let's quickly – I'm just going to quickly touch on the Leafs here, and then we'll get to the larger picture. The Leafs don't have nearly as good a system as the Senators, of course, but they do have some really intriguing young guys. And Rasmus Sandin is a guy who has made the jump to the NHL, and he's a little bit raw, but he's very talented. Most people had him as a top five, top ten prospect. You've seen what he's done at the World Juniors in the AHL, and he is going to be a fixture for a long time in the top four for the Leafs. And then there's a couple of other guys I wanted to mention. Nicholas Robertson was a steal of a pick in the second round of the 2019 draft. He was supposed to go in the first round, and who knows why he didn't. He went 53rd overall in the second round. Had another fine season with 86 points in only 46 games. Consistently regarded as a top 20 prospect by many. And then also a guy that maybe nobody really talks about as much, also from the 2019 draft. Mikhail Abramov had another great season as the Leafs picked him in the 2019 draft quite late. He had 76 points in 63 games as an 18-year-old. So... Kyle Dubas in a short time has really gotten some great value in terms of these prospects that he's drafted. And and I expect that to continue. And Dubas knows that he likes skilled players and, and that's good news for Leafs fans. Cause if you can, if you can find those skilled players where your picks are, like they did last year, you're going to have a really good prospect pool in a short period of time. Now, the only concern, I have is the Leafs have to handle their picks better. You can't trade away all your picks because really, if you had more picks in this draft, we'd probably be talking about a few other guys, wouldn't we? Absolutely. The Leafs, you know, as much as you got to make those depth moves to become a better team at the NHL level, you have to hold on to some of your picks. And, you know, uh, I'll be with you on that criticism of Kyle Dubas. He often just haphazardly throws away some some of the picks and those can come back to cost them. Yeah, so let's let's move on to the larger picture here. And what I really noticed, Matt, when I was starting to look at all these prospects is the amount of Russian players is absurd. And I will call this the Russian invasion because you're not talking about, you know, 
two or three really good guys. You're talking about 10, 15 or more, and that's just the top 50. The top overall prospect in the league right now, arguably, is Minnesota Wild winger Kirill Kaprizov. And the Wild, despite their inability to really do anything in the playoffs the last little while, they have really racked up a number of good prospects, and two of them are Russian. So let me just talk about Kaprizov real quick. Kaprizov has shown consistent improvement in his game since being drafted 135th overall in the 2015 entry draft. He's a winner, too. He's won a Gagarian Cup title in the KHL and an Olympic gold medal at just 22 years old. And this from ESPN, no other player has posted more points in his KHL career before turning 24. So this guy could be the best homegrown prospect for the Minnesota Wild since Marion Gabryk. That's in pretty good company. Yeah, right? Well, I'll tell you what. Go ahead. One of the reasons why we're seeing a real Russian revolution, as you call it, Mac, is I'd say the KHL, in terms of skill, has gotten a lot better. I know it can be hard to catch some KHL hockey here in North America, but if you ever get a chance to tune in, just watching how the league has evolved in Russia and how much better players have gotten there, it's quite impressive to see, and I think that a lot of NHL scouts are starting to take notice. That's a great point, and you think about some of the players who have come over from the KHL in kind of the last five, ten years, are Chemi Panarin, um, Malkin developed in the KHL. Of course, there's some more recent guys like Mikheyev, and the list goes on and on. The KHL has really become a league where young players can play and get drafted out of and continue to play until they're ready. And that's that's great news because I think... Um, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, the KHL was really regarded as kind of a old man's league. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah, I don't think you'd be too wrong but in that, saying that. But that's not the case now. Sure, you have you have old guys that still play there, but they're still skilled and talented, and they can still contribute. But there's a lot of younger players that develop and play there. And players that make the decision to play there instead of, say, the OHL or the NCAA, because a, it's it, they're more comfortable there, and b, you don't really have the language barrier issue, so that just makes things easier for them. And I'm really excited to see what this kid can do. Um, you know, think of him as a young, like young, talented kind of like Vladimir Tarasenko type, and hopefully injuries don't do anything to his career but you know this kid is is going to be something else I think and you look at the Minnesota Wild right now if you can add Kaprizov to what you have this is certainly a playoff team and probably even better than that and I haven't even named Alex Kavanov who's another Russian prospect he's a center he had 99 points this year in the QMJHL match, trailing guess who? Alexi Lafreniere. That's pretty you're, good, right? Yeah, you're in pretty good company at that point. And don't forget Adam Beckman as well in Spokane in the WHL. He's been up there on the uh, Minnesota Wild Prospect system as well. He had 107 total points this season, 
48 goals and 59 assists. That's pretty good as well. Yeah, he was outstanding. So the Minnesota Wild have a have a number of real good prospects and and two of which I think well one especially should be ready real soon. And just to touch on the Russian factor like I mentioned, I just want to name some of these guys. Kaprizov, I mentioned Grigory Denisenko is a really talented winger in the Panthers organization. Alex Romanov for Montreal is a really talented Russian defender who hopefully they don't trade away like Sergachev. Um, Ivan Prozvetov, I hope I pronounced that right, is a goaltender with the Coyotes organization currently in the AHL. Ilya Sorokin is a goaltender with the Islanders. Vasily Podkolzin is a winger with the Canucks. I mentioned Kovanov. Vitaly Kravtsov is a winger with the Rangers. And Alexander Alexiev is a D with the Capitals. I can't remember the last time there were so many good young Russian players met. It, it's really, it's awesome. I'll admit that. Oh, it's fantastic. The, the only era you can really think of that's even kind of close is back when they first allowed Russians to come into the league. But since then, we really haven't seen a, a real surge in Russian prospects like we have now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the other prospect that we have to mention, there's a couple others we have to mention that are in conversation for the top prospect overall. One of them is Trevor Zegras, who they picked ninth overall in the draft. And, and that was a pretty good value looking back at that draft, although there was a lot of talent there. Um, he could be the heir apparent to Ryan Getzlaff. Getzlaff's had a great career, but he's clearly slowing down with age. He's still a good player, but not nearly the same. And this guy has been a fixture with the World Juniors and Team USA, and he put up over a point per game with the Boston University Terriers in the NCAA. So Zegers is another one. And then Buffalo Sabres fans, you also have Cousins, who's who's a very talented youngster. He's in the conversation as well. And then really the other, the only other one that I've heard is Denisenko, who is a high-scoring winger in the Panthers organization. And I haven't even mentioned Igor Shosturkin, who is obviously kind of graduated and he's at the NHL level and enjoying success there. So just a bevy of young Russian players here. Absolutely. And don't forget we have the upcoming NHL draft as well, where more Russians will be drafted fairly high and probably make their way into the league at some point. Of course, we don't know when the draft will take place at this point, but we know it's going to happen. And don't forget uh, Yaroslav Askarov projected to be a top 10 goaltender going in the draft this year. Yeah, and that this will continue. This is going to be Russia is really coming on. And they had kind of a – there have always been Russian players that have came through and played in the NHL. But I think now more than ever with, with the types of guys who are, you look at all the top players in the NHL and there are a number of Russian players that are certainly up there. So they have great role models. And like you said, I think hockey has taken a step forward with the KHL and in Russia. So I would expect that 
this will continue to happen. And if anything, we're only going to see more and more players come out of Russia. And that's, that's great news for hockey fans because everyone loves Russian players. You don't want to admit it because sometimes they're cocky and sometimes they get on your nerves and they're very skilled. But I can tell you that everyone loves them no matter what. Absolutely. I always love seeing some of the explosive Russians in the league. You look at a guy like Evgeny Malkin, a prime example. And and you and I just got to watch some prime Malkin. And we'll get into how Mac and I have been getting our hockey fix shortly. But we rewatched the 2009 Stanley Cup final. And Evgeny Malkin was just incredible. And he's still an incredible player. But in that 2009 Cup final, he was on another level. Yeah, he was just out of this world. I, you, you couldn't believe what you were seeing. Just a historic domination and performance by Evgeny Malkin in that cup final. And throughout the playoffs, leading the league in points, winning the Conn Smythe Trophy, winning the Stanley Cup. He was just, that was probably his best year overall, arguably, but... You know, he's had a fantastic career, and I don't care what, you know, NHL says, and he's not in the top 100 players of all time. I think he is. <laughs> and as much as there's other guys that deserve to be on that list, for me, this guy's a future Hall of Famer, no doubt about it. And he continues to put up points today, even I, at his age. He and uh, Crosby will have the numbers hanging side by side from the rafters eventually it's just a matter of time for sure so let's let's wrap on the prospect talk here i wanted to mention another team that has just an absurd amount of young talent because i think it's been a, a bit of a trying year for minnesota fans and i would say it's been the same for an la kings fan so we have good news for you kings fans here the kings have a number of young players and that starts with Alex Turcott. Turcott was selected fifth overall in the 2019 draft, and he has all the tools to be the future number one center the Kings need. And it gets better. Now we have Arthur Kaliev, who somehow slid incredibly far in the 2019 draft to 33rd overall. I don't know how. I'm not a GM. Kaliev's 51 goals and 102 points with Hamilton in the 2018-2019 season was impressive enough. But jump ahead to 2019-2020, and he was even better. In just 57 games, he had 98 points, including 44 goals. I haven't even mentioned Akil Thomas, who's a very good young player, and Tyler Madden, who you acquired in the Toffoli trade. The Kings are absolutely loaded with young talent, Matt. They absolutely are. And you know what? LA, going into the suspension of the NHL season, was the hottest team in the league. I think they won six or seven in a row going into the suspension. And the, and that's just their base roster right now. As you mentioned, guys like Kelly have, have had incredible seasons. I think that LA is taking the right steps here. I know you and I have been... Awful critical of the Kings the past couple seasons, but they're building their prospect system right. They're getting some nice depth here. And it's just a matter of time until the Kings start making moves again. And with the state of the Pacific, particularly 
considering the other two teams in California, I think LA has the real potential to be the best team in California again relatively soon. That's a great point. And some of these big contracts are, are starting to come off the books. And you have all these young players that are that are going to be ready soon, and you have no reason to rush them. But I think the other thing that we haven't really mentioned here because we're talking about prospects is Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick lately has looked a lot like the old Jonathan Quick, and I think that has a lot to do with injuries because injuries have really um, affected him the last few years. And you can tell he's just not quite the same. But I'll tell you, from watching him recently before the layoff, he looked like the old Jonathan Quick. And you have another young goalie in Cal Peterson. So if you can kind of play them in a tandem and you don't want to play the young kid too much, but if you look at the way Jonathan Quick has played lately, and I think that starts with the... um, stadium series game in Colorado like he was outstanding in that game and it goes until now obviously you have a really good tandem and we've seen what tandems can do you look at the Oilers tandem even the Rangers tandem with the two young goaltenders it could be a really good situation if if the Kings could get a little creative here and I think Rob Blake has a difficult decision to make here Matt because a you love the team you have right now, but at the same time, you know, you feel like you're really close to making a push for the playoffs, don't you? So, you know, maybe you can be creative. Maybe you can trade away some of your lesser needed prospects. And, and or maybe you can find free agents at a discount that really fit in well. I think... This will be a challenge for him with his limited cap space available. But, you know, I think he's learned a lot as a GM from when he first started. Obviously, he overpaid for a guy like Kovalchuk, and that did not work out very well. But you look at GM's track records, especially ex-players, usually they don't do very well at the start. You know, look at Joe Sackick. Joe Sackick, when he first started, I would say struggled as a GM. But you look at yeah, yeah. Head to today, and he knows exactly what to do. And is reg- I think Rob Blake has learned a lot ever since he started, and I think he's learned to be patient. He's learned that right now this team needs prospects, young players, and draft picks, and he has accumulated a ton of those. He hasn't signed any bad deals, so give him credit. We'll see what he does, but I think the LA Kings are going to be. A real threat in the future. A little too far away for me, but certainly a team to watch in the coming years. Yeah, I think you're right there, Mac. Uh, the Kings are making the right steps. I think that it still may be a few years out, but as long as you stay the course, and I think that's the key that a lot of GMs struggle with, is that your team starts getting on a hot streak and you start thinking about playoff aspirations. And then you go off course of what your rebuild set out to do. And I think as long as you're, you play it smart, you're patient, you stay on the course, you can have some sustained success, even if it means an extra year of, I wouldn't say basement dwelling, but, you know, of mediocrity. Yeah, but I, I honestly think that 
if the NHL comes back, I don't think they're going to play any regular season games. I mean, we don't really know what they're going to do, but I think next year the LA Kings are going to be much better. And they got off to a really bad start. First of all, you had to fire the coach, bring in a new coach. Obviously, you you traded away some players. You made the big move with Jake Muzzin to Toronto. That's a big hole on the blue line that you had to fill. So it was certainly a difficult situation that they stepped into. And really, it wasn't a great first half. But if you look at the second half and you look at how close the games are and how hard they play, to me, it's only a matter of time before this team is at least in the playoff conversation, if not a playoff team regularly. I would still be a little hesitant to say only a matter of time because they still have they still have a lot of issues in L.A., but I will say they're going on the right track. All right, so what did you want to talk about next, Matt? Oh, well, I think we got to get on on how we've been keeping our hockey fix. <laughs> Getting our hockey fix here, Mac, because like a lot of you, Mac and I basically watch as much hockey as we can, within reason, of course. But once the NHL is gone, all the other leagues followed rather quickly, and of course there's no real live sports left. Sportsnet and TSN, they've started rerunning some some of the more modern games, but Mac and I... Well, we figured we'd use this opportunity to revisit some uh, playoff series of the bygone era of 10 years ago plus. And I got to say, it's been really entertaining just seeing how much the league has changed in just 10 years. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I, and I highly recommend you guys to check it out. Check out some of these series because not only are they still amazing hockey, but... You see how much kind of slower the game was. You know, it was more of a tactical game. It was very physical. And there are still some similarities. You know, the one thing that hasn't changed that I've that I've seen is in order to win a Stanley Cup, you need you need a few things. You need scoring, you need to be physical, and you need to be great defensively, and you also need very good goaltending. So if you look at those things those are still what you need you look at a team like the st louis blues the blues didn't have all the skill in the world but how did they get there matt they had amazing goaltending from bennington you had a great defense core you had a forward group that understood how to play defense and offense and they were extremely physical that's how they won so the strategy hasn't changed but the game has and just looking back at that series that we watched between the Penguins and the Red Wings in 2009, there is some speed, but it's a noticeably slower game. Like a guy like Hal Gill would have a lot of trouble surviving in the NHL today because there's just too many really good skaters with so much skill. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that that was such a highly competitive and very close series with a lot of skill. You look at some of the players, obviously Malkin, Crosby, Zetterberg, Hossa, Lidstrom. You know, this this was really a clash of the titans. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's a real clash of the titans. One thing that I really forgot about in that series is the fact that the goaltending was absolutely incredible. 
Chris Osgood had, although he he'd often been criticized as a goaltender throughout his career, I don't think that's quite fair because he was making some incredible ten bell saves at many points during that series, as well as during that playoff run. But let's shift focus over to Marc Andre Fleury because Marc Andre Fleury, particularly in that game seven, not taking away from guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and the performances they put on. But without Marc-Andre Fleury being as good as he was in that final, Detroit would have won back-to-back cups. Yeah, Fleury was just ridiculous. And you and I, watching this series from 10 years ago, were just shocked at how well he had played. And and there were some key defensive plays by the Penguins. But like you said, Fleury was really the engineer. I think Fleury and Malkin, probably Crosby as well, of course. But yeah, I mean, when you talk about that series, most people, like you said, they talk about Malkin and his con Smythe and his performance. But that critical save, obviously, in the dying seconds and really just a number of other ridiculous saves that left Detroit players looking up to the sky. They couldn't believe they didn't score. It was just amazing, and it, and it reminded me just, again, how good he was during his prime. And and it was fun to see. And you mentioned Osgood. Despite the fact that Chris Osgood was a good bit older than Fleury, he was outstanding in that series. So that was also fun to watch. I enjoy watching the, the veteran take on the young guy. <laughs> yeah, and, and you and I have continued watching some old hockey. We're currently wrapping up on... Boston versus Philadelphia from 2010. Now, that series, funny enough, is kind of forgotten nowadays because, of course, the Kings ended up doing a reverse sweep of the Sharks a few years later, and that one kind of overshadows this one. But remember that Philly was down 3-0 in that series, and they came back to beat Boston in 7. But I got to say, all the games that we've seen, with the exception of one, really could have gone either way. Yeah. And I think those are those are the best playoff series, the ones that are kind of too close to call, and they're very even. There's great goaltending, great defense, lots of offensive talent. Those are the kind of series that you want to watch. And you mentioned that series. Talking about great young goaltenders, I almost forgot how good Tuka Rask was back then, but I, I got a very stern reminder that he was unbelievable and he still is incredibly good to Garask. He was well, just the... very similar to Flurry, like making these saves he had absolutely no business making, incredible flexibility, incredible quickness, and just, you know, carrying the Boston Bruins as far as he could, despite the fact that Philly was really the better team in that series. Yeah, they were, and you forget how good the Philadelphia Flyers really were in 2010. Everyone remembers Chicago winning the Cup that year, but Philly had a very good team as well. You had a a young Claude Giroux. You had Mike Richards, who was in his prime. Brian Boucher got injured in Game 5 of the series, but you know what? He was playing very well as well, and Philly kind of had the next next man up mentality. If someone went down, someone was going to come in and step up. And and Philly really was a, a four-line team. You notice no real difference in effort from line one to line four. 
Absolutely. And, and that's a great point. They, the Boston Bruins, you know, they were a really good team then as well. But Philly ultimately won that battle, and, and we're, we're currently on game six, I believe, is the next game yeah, we'll watch. But honestly, man, just a, a really great series. So I wanted to wrap on this part of the segment with just some recommendations in terms of games that we feel you should watch, games that are on kind of our watch list. So let's start with you there, Matt. Well, I would absolutely recommend not only rewatching the two series Mac and I have rewatched at this point, but if you and I will say for those of you that want to find these games, it's not overly hard on YouTube. You just type in NHL playoff games and you'll more than likely come across a bunch like Mac and I did. And one series that Mac and I are probably going to do next is Chicago versus Vancouver from 2011 because that was a really intense series. Two juggernauts going head-to-head in 2011. Of course, Chicago had Taves and Kane, and then you go over to Vancouver, they had Samuelson, you had the Sedin twins, Burroughs, you had Luongo, you, you had Crawford. Really, two, once again, a clash of the titans. And I'm really looking forward to that one because, you know, it may be lost to time now, but in the early 2010s, late 2000s, Vancouver was a very good team, but they just could never get over the Chicago Blackhawks. I think for two or three years in a row, they couldn't beat Chicago. And then in Game 7 in 2011, it was going either way, and then they slayed the Dragon, I think is what Jim Houston called it at the time. And absolutely incredible series. Highly recommend watching that one. Any others? Well, I got to put my bias sentence fan in at one point just because, sure. you know, I have to. And I would recommend <laughs> just if you want to see vintage Henrik Lundqvist, and I know Henrik Lundqvist has had some some fantastic series, but to me, just the first time I really got to appreciate how good Henrik Lundqvist was in 2012, round one against the Senators, he made some incredible stops. You had a young Sens team at the time with some players like Mika Zibanejad. I believe that was his first playoff. Might have been his first playoff series. It might have been the year after. I'd have to fact check that one later. But they they had some young players. You had a young Kyle Turris on the Senators at the time. You had some veterans like Daniel Alfords. And a, a real interesting mix of players on the Sens at that time. And no one expected them to make the playoffs. And they were a fun team to watch. And it was a really fun series. It goes back and forth between lead changes and series lead changes, and it goes down to a very exciting Game 7 where Henrik Lundqvist makes some Marc-Andre Fleury-esque stops, I'd say. So I'd highly recommend that one, at least if you're looking for a, a Send series where you can see vintage Henrik Lundqvist. That, yeah, those are, those are great picks. So I'm going to piggyback on, on your Vancouver-Chicago suggestion. Speaking of Chicago... For me, one of the best series I've ever seen was Chicago-LA in 2014. I, It really was the Stanley Cup that year, despite the fact that, obviously, the Stanley Cup was awarded in the next round. Seven-game series, you know, Jonathan Quick, Corey Crawford, all of these players, you know, Taze, Kane, Kopitar, Doughty, Carter, just an incredible series. As close as it gets, it was physical. 
There's a lot of skill involved, amazing goaltending, and these games were as close as they could get, really. So that's one for me. And another one I would put on there is Philly-Pittsburgh in 2012. First of all, because that's a great rivalry, but second of all, because that was a fantastic series. And speaking of rivalries, Bruins and Habs from 2014 is underrated, I feel. Because, you know, well, that was a great it, one. It was it was a while ago, but this is when the Habs were still were a pretty good team and and they had some really good players and ultimately that series went a long way. And speaking and you know, of the Bruins, talking. Capitals Bruins in 2012 was another incredible series with a number of games going to overtime. Amazing goaltending between Holtby and Rask. Go ahead, Matt. And you know, if you're going off of rivalries, I think you, one that I might watch if if they're saying hockey might not resume until the summer, Capitals versus Penguins watch from 2009 when they first met up until 2018 when Alex Ovechkin finally played the demons that are the Pittsburgh Penguins for him and go on to win the Stanley Cup because all of those Penguins versus Capitals series are worth rewatching on their own. But if you watch them back to back to back to back, from the journey from the very start when it was Sid the Kid versus the Grade Eight to here's an older Ovechkin and an older Crosby and Ovi just has never been able to get past the Penguins and finally being able to do it. I think if you watch those from beginning to the most recent one a couple years ago, it would be absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah, that's actually one of the last ones on my list. And specifically, I have Penn's Caps from 2017. But like you mentioned, all of those Penn's Caps series were just awesome hockey. So those are just some of the series that we recommend watching. Obviously, there's there's a whole bunch of others, and these are more recent. But like Matt said, a lot of these games you can find on YouTube. Um, a couple guys that we've we've used on their channels. I'm going to shout them out now. One of them is NHL Playoffs Archive, and another one is Old NHL Games. So check those out if you're looking for playoff also, games. I'm also going to shout out another guy, uh, Serg72. If you want to see some real vintage games and even a mix of modern games, sometimes sometimes if you're looking for a game, you have to do a bit of snooping. But of I'd say between those three channels, you can find most of the games you want. And don't forget, Mac, if you also don't want to have to dig for some of these games, the NHL has also offered up a free subscription for NHL Game Center, at least until the end of April right now. I will say the only caveat with it is that you're only getting games back to the start of the 2014 season. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of really good games in there. Like, as Max mentioned, the uh, Kings and the Hawks in 2014 was it, would be included in that. But if you want to find anything older, YouTube would certainly be your best bet. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of how we're we're getting through this this time of no current hockey being on. We're just enjoying old playoff series, and we're not watching them all in one shot. We're watching them kind of over time because we feel like watching them all in one shot doesn't let us appreciate them as much. But I think what I wanted to wrap up this episode on is teams that this layoff benefits, and that's specifically teams that have a lot of injuries. So 
let's start with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, we've talked about this before. John Tortorella has been just an incredible coach for the Blue Jackets, considering all the injuries that they've dealt with this year. I mean, Ryan Murray just returned as the season was postponed. And the Blue Jackets still had Seth Jones, Josh Anderson, Dean Kukin, Alex Tessier, and Brandon Dubinsky all out. So now you don't have pressure, and you have more time to heal. And then the Hurricanes, three defenders on IR, including newly acquired Sammy Vatanen, Dougie Hamilton, and Brett Pesci. Then you move on to the Islanders. Adam Pellick and Casey Zekas are very important players for New York. Pellick is a consistent top four defender, and Sezikis is a very important kind of third-line center and very good penalty killer. You can see how much they've missed him and them on their recent skid. And the Flyers, I think, is an interesting one as well because, obviously, Oscar Lindblom probably won't be back as he's dealing with a much more serious issue, and we wish him all the best. Nolan Patrick has dealt with bad migraines and been out all season. So again, this time off should help him. And also James Van Riemsdyk. And we weren't going to get through this episode without me mentioning the Leafs one more time. So (laughs) I will. No question the Leafs have had their fair share of injuries this year. Jake Muzzin, Andreas Janssen, and Ilya Mikheyev are important players missing time. And the layoff will give them more time to get healthy. And the team that really should be number one alongside the Blue Jackets, Matt, is the Colorado Avalanche. First, you had Nathan McKinnon, who just recently got injured, Miko Rantanen, Nazem Kadri, Philip Grubauer, Matt Calvert, and Colin Wilson. So you have one of your goalies, you have your number one center, you have your number one winger, you have your number two center, and you have... Two third liners, all injured. So hopefully Colorado will come out much more healthy out of this break. I'd say most teams will come out healthier out of this break, and I'm not too worried about them canceling this NHL season unless we see a dramatic increase in what's going on with the coronavirus and as long as people are smart, I see. I don't see the NHL canceling this season. Gary Bettman has given off the impression that he really doesn't want to cancel this season unless he has to. The NHL, not quite the NHL Players Association, but a lot of the players involved, I don't know how many people have seen this, but they've had a plan drawn up how on how they can finish this season with a realistic time frame based on what medical experts are saying, where it may be a few months before we really see the plateau of this disease. And they're saying that to do a proper playoffs with fans and everything, we might as well wait until the summer, let teams heal up, let them do a proper training camp, have a couple weeks to end the season, and then run the, uh, the playoffs through August and September, resuming the season in early November. Now, You and I were discussing this a few days ago, Matt, and the only critique you and I really have of this, and I'm not against hockey over the summer, I think that's your most realistic option at this point, based on everything we've heard, but my only critique is that, let's say, let's just say the 
Colorado Avalanche win the Stanley Cup, but a lot of their players are banged up. Well, now you only have a month to not only heal up, but re-sign free agents, do the draft, do all the scouting that's required for that, and then get everyone set for a new season. I think what's more realistic, and you can agree or disagree with me on this, Mac, is that I think you, if you want to complete this season, I think it's smarter as much as the NHL wants to do a full 82-game season next year. If you want to complete this season, I don't think you can do 82 games next I think that the NHL will be smarter to say, we'll go forward with this plan, but instead we're going to start the season mid-December, early January, and we're going to run a season similar to what we saw in 2013 after the lockout-shortened season, but instead we'll offer more breaks, and it'll be... It won't be as tight as that season was, so there's less of an injury risk, and it'll allow players who do get injured in a playoff to properly heal and let us run a proper draft and things like that. Yeah, I I totally agree with you on that. I think that's their best bet. I think, first of all, the play-in tournament is a great idea, and I think really tight races going on in the East and the West. And I think there would definitely be some upsets, some surprises, but yeah, I don't, I think players naturally they're professional athletes. They want to play and they want to play as soon as possible. But the proposal that they put in front of the owners and Gary Bettman was to play the remainder of the season, play the playoffs and then basically jump into a season like very short after that. And that's just not reasonable. I think there would be way too many injuries, first of all. And that's just way too much hockey to be played in such a short period of time. So we'll we'll keep an eye on what the developments are. But I think the best bet, like you said, is to have the play-in tournament, have the playoffs, take some time off, and then start the season later and just have a shortened schedule like you did. And this is only for one season. This is a one-time thing. This has happened with the lockout before, like you mentioned, and it'll probably happen again, we hope. So it's not the end of the world. And I think it could promise to be a very entertaining kind of a 40 or so game season if they do do it that way. Well, the last time they did, I think it was a 41, 42 game schedule. And you know what I liked about that? is every game really mattered. You know, it felt almost like a football season for hockey because if your team lost two or three in a row, that could really impact your playoff chances. It also meant we saw teams that didn't, I wouldn't say didn't normally make the playoffs, but teams that seemed to often be hot at the start of the season, then cool off as the season goes along, make it in. So, you know, a 42-game schedule could really benefit a team like Buffalo that were pretty good for you know, the first quarter and a bit of the season, and then really dropped off. Always on the Buffalo, isn't he? <laughs> well, so are you. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but, you know... No, I think yeah, I think, I think it would make for some interesting results, like you said. And I think it, it's your most reasonable approach. I think that the Players Association is right to assume that hockey... In, it, in its proper form with fans and in attendance, which is what players want. They don't want to play in front of empty arenas. You know, no. they want to play, but they want to play properly with fans involved. 
So I think they're smart to think that the NHL season wouldn't resume properly until the summer. And as a fan, I'm fine with that. It means that we're going to have a busy sports summer, if that's the case, because we'll have baseball over the summer and we'll have hockey and potentially basketball as well, all going on at the same time, along with the start of the NFL season. So it would be a real crazy time for sports, but I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I think it's the safest plan to do what we're proposing. And I think it would be the best best way forward for the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else we wanted to talk about before we wrap up here? Well, I don't think I have anything else to add at the moment, Mac. There's, unfortunately, there's only so much we can do when hockey isn't going on. But, you know, maybe I'll boot up NHL 20 or 19 or whatever, and I'll start doing a, do a GM mode so we have trades to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that just, do, just about does it for this episode. We wanted to thank you for listening. We hope you're safe and practicing social distancing during this scary time so we wanted to give everyone all of our best center ice is presented by the national podcast network you can follow them on twitter at national Podnet and find us along with many other great podcasts center ice is available on any podcast platform just look for the blue white and red logo for matt this is max signing off stay safe stay healthy And remember, there's still hockey available. You just have to find it. Take care, guys.